COVID infections hit a troubling new milestone. This is uh, a significant challenge, uh, particularly in Metro Vancouver. More than a thousand new cases racked up in record time. <laughs> Halloween horror on the Granville Strip. <laughs> the behavior that has health experts afraid of an even greater spike. And murder mystery in Coombs. I heard gunshots go off. And then I seen two guys come up the hill on bikes. The discovery of three bodies at a remote gravel pit. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with breaking developments in the battle against COVID-19 in BC. We have hit record case numbers over the past three days amassing more than 1,000 new cases faster than ever. We have 1,120 new cases. That's 352 Friday, 389 Saturday, and 379 Sunday through this morning. That brings our provincial total to 15,501. Sadly, we've had six more deaths, which means 269 people have now died in B.C. from complications from the virus. 90 people are in hospital, 19 of those patients are in ICU, 12,207 people are considered recovered, leaving us with just under 3,000 active cases and nearly 6,500 people in isolation. We'll bring in Keith Baldry now for more on this. Keith, it's concerning to say the least when we take a look mm -hmm. at those numbers and a geographical trend in the case numbers seems to be continuing. Yeah, I always think it's worth uh, taking a look at exactly where this virus is spreading the most. And the trend has been locked in for some weeks now. Take a look at how these 1,120 cases break down geographically by health authority. As usual, the Fraser Health Authority has the lion's share, 74% of them at 830. Vancouver Coastal with 21%. And then really the other health authorities don't really have COVID numbers uh, to any great degree. Even though they're testing thousands of people, COVID is not showing up to anywhere near the degree. It's showing up in Fraser Health on a daily basis, on on a weekly basis, now well more than a monthly basis. Dr. Rebecca Gustafson, the deputy health officer today, referring to these cases as surges. And surges like this are taking place around the world in different hotspots. And that's why public health has to be taken very seriously in a particular area. And that's the Fraser Health Authority. We are going to see fluctuations and surges in, in some communities. We know this from British Columbia. We know this from around the world. The recent increased cases in the Lower Mainland, and particularly in Fraser Health, are an example of this. And when we do experience these surges, we need to respond with increased effort and stepped-up focus using all of the public health measures we have available to us. Now, we're about to hit some more benchmarks, Chris. We're probably going to hit 3,000 active cases for the first time as early as tomorrow. Uh, we're rapidly approaching 7,000 people being in self-isolation as a result of getting the virus or being exposed to it. 7,000 people off the job. Our new average now is probably going to be approaching 400 cases a day. And unfortunately, our positivity rate continues to inch up, now about 4%, and even significantly higher in Fraser Health. And we'll be keeping track of those numbers, of course, every day. No doubt we will. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Thank you, Keith. B.C. health officials are responding to a scary Halloween scene in Vancouver. Crowds packed the Granville Strip and partied like there was no pandemic on the weekend. Grace Key has more on the mayhem and why the VPD says it wasn't appropriate for them to be the mask police. It was a chaotic Halloween night along the Granville Entertainment District 
additional police were called to help control the alcohol-fueled crowd. Police didn't hand out social distancing tickets because they say it was too unsafe and an inefficient use of resources. Public safety became a priority. We needed to be there to prevent fights, prevent uh, damage to property, and worse, prevent any riots that could have happened. Attempting to disperse this type of crowd, especially a crowd of you know, alcohol fueled wasn't appropriate. The situation turned threatening for police after they stopped these two SUVs. 30 people quickly swarmed officers and became increasingly hostile. One man jumped on top of a police car, provoking the crowd. Another cruiser had its window smashed out. Ensuring compliance with COVID safety measures is a, is a shared responsibility. So it's not only the police responsibility, but our partners at the city and the province have a responsibility in ensuring these measures as well. Health Minister Adrian Dix said while the scenes on Granville Street were disgraceful, he put an emphasis on the new public health order that limits household guests to six people. Some of those events, which have seen a lot of transmission, and we review, as you know, every case, um, have occurred not with cameras around and not in the way we can visualize, but in indoors, in uh, private gatherings. You know, the outside gatherings are a big problem and they shouldn't happen, but the indoor gatherings are potentially deadly, so we, those are the ones we have to focus on. But restaurants fear they'll be the ones paying the price. So the public sees this, and they go, I'm going to stay away, and that hurts business. And at the same time, businesses are more than prepared to be, provide a safe environment, so we don't want them to close. Police say the partiers were mostly peaceful, though there were a number of arrests for minor offenses and no reports of injuries. Grace Key, Global News. A Saanich homeowner has been slapped with a hefty fine for breaking provincial COVID health orders on Halloween night. Police busted a house party in the 3900 block of LaSalle Street just before 3 o'clock Sunday morning. At least 30 people were inside the home. The homeowner was made aware of the rules limiting private gatherings to just six guests, but he did not comply with the request to shut down. Police stepped in and issued a $2,300 fine for the violation. Well, it's been almost five months since the federal government launched its national contact tracing app, but B.C. and Alberta still haven't signed up for it. B.C. believes its army of contact tracers is effective enough. But Richard Zussman spoke to one local app developer who says his technology can do it better. But so far, no one's listening. It works in Ontario, works in Quebec, but here in British Columbia, the province still saying no to the federal COVID-19 app. This notion of does it work depends on what your goals are. And, in, and here in British Columbia, um, our public health teams are reaching people. Just BC and Alberta are pushing back against the software designed to notify users about possible virus exposures. The biggest problem, according to BC, is the app is too broad. The app that in its current state can inform an individual that they were exposed to COVID-19, but it, it isn't able to notify and tell them when, how long, what they need to do, how intense that uh, contact was, how close that contact was. The app has been downloaded nearly 5 million times in Canada, but when you click on it here in BC, this is what you get. No reporting. Instead, the focus has been on different technology. We are actually identifying the digital tools that will be helpful for us and that are, being, uh, that are helpful for us. One of those potentially useful apps is 10.3. The Vancouver-developed app can blanket a certain area, like a community event or a grocery store, to identify exposures and cover a set time period. With this system, it would be instantaneous instead of 
the health, the, the contact tracing professionals having to make phone calls to figure out who was where and, and, and do all of that detective work. The province hasn't been in touch with the developer about the app. This while the government's spending millions of dollars to hire new contact tracers. When you have um, more than 6,000 people who are being monitored by public health, adding uh, hundreds of highly qualified people to support our efforts is a good idea. Currently, some staff are being moved in rare instances from giving immunizations to contact trace. And developers like Matheson say his app can take the burden off contact tracers who have jobs getting harder by the day. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver International Airport is set to roll out its COVID-19 rapid testing program for travelers. And while the test won't change BC's self-isolation rules, as Ted Chernecki reports, it is part of an initiative to eventually get more passengers in the air. There's a good reason why airport terminals across Canada are all but ghost towns. At Vancouver International, they're seeing about 15% of the traffic you'd normally expect at this time of the year. Traveling these days can often mean 14 days of isolation at the other end of the trip. But what if you only had to spend a couple of days self-isolating? I think it's fantastic. It's a great opportunity to get home and spend a couple of days at home and then hopefully get out into the real world again. So I'm happy. <laughs> That's what they're testing in Calgary for international arrivals. WestJet and the federal government are hoping to knock that quarantine down from 14 days to just two. I'm a stay-at-home mom. It is a good, a good thing for everybody, but I think this it's about time because we can't spend 14 days inside. So this is my second time test. I tested in the U.S. and I got my results in three days, but obviously I want to do it again. In Vancouver, they're taking it a step further, launching a rapid test pilot program for domestic travel it will complement the international testing. When up and running, it's hoped a negative test means you're good to board the flight with nothing more to do when you land. A new curbside testing station will soon be located just outside the WestJet check-ins, offering results in as little as 15 minutes. We're taking a container, uh, a shipping container, and it's being converted into a testing facility so we can do that uh, easily outside the airport to allow for easy access and uh, exit. YVR is working with UBC to test the testing and test the process to see how it can be streamlined in an airport environment. You check in and provide your ID, you go through CATSA and we do a security screen there. So it's a layered approach to security. A layered approach to health and COVID testing we think could follow a similar pattern. Airports are under tremendous pressure to get some kind of reliable rapid testing program in place. The traveling public wants assurances that getting back on board is both safe and timely. And yes, there might be a COVID vaccine available in the coming months, but will there be any airlines left in business? Ted Chernick, Global News. A popular holiday attraction on the North Shore is set to return with pandemic safety measures in place. Canyon lights will light up the Capilano River Suspension Bridge starting December 1st through January 3rd. Face masks will be required for all visitors to the park and the event will operate at reduced capacity. Tickets have to be purchased online in advance starting tomorrow and visitors will need to book an entry time online. Proceeds from the event go to support BC's Professional Firefighters Burn Fund. Well, it was a busier than normal weekend for firefighters in Vancouver. The city's fire department responded to nearly 300 fire-related calls on Halloween night alone, that's 30% more than average. The department says many of the 38 confirmed fires were caused by fireworks. 
In total, an estimated $450,000 in damage was caused by the fires. A new fireworks ban took effect in Vancouver on Sunday. And North Vancouver RCMP are asking for your help to identify this suspected arsonist. Captured on surveillance video, entering the fenced compound of a business in the 1200 block of Welch Street. At least two vehicles were set on fire in the early hours of September 25th. Anyone with information is asked to call police. Back to Halloween night, we dodged a bullet with the weather. It was perfect. Heavy rain, though, is on the way, and it could bring flooding in some low-lying areas. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on where it's going to hit and when, Christy. Thanks, Chris. Yes, so cue the November weather, I suppose you could say. Yes, get your gumboots out. These are the rainfall warnings that are in effect. We're expecting an excess of 80 millimeters for Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley. But this is tonight through Wednesday morning because there's actually two different systems. The first wave will move onshore overnight for Sunshine Coast, Vancouver Island. It shifts into Metro Vancouver tomorrow morning. Give yourself extra time for your commute to work. Then it eases off in the afternoon as that first wave moves on, and then the next wave moves onshore tomorrow evening and that's when we're back into periods of rain. So it's heavy rain at times along with gusty winds and we'll see that right through until Wednesday morning, Chris. All right, we've been warned and we'll check in with you a little bit later on the news hour here too. Thanks, Christy. And a whale of a tail in Rotterdam. What stopped this train from an even greater catastrophe later? Right now, though, we are into the final hours of a contentious, divisive U.S. election campaign. Donald Trump and Joe Biden blitzing the battleground states, making their final pitches. Global's Reggie Cicchini is live and in the thick of it in D.C. Reggie, where do the candidates stand in the final polls and how is that influencing their last minute travel? Well, good evening, Chris. Uh, the last-minute travel for the candidates was in the states where they need to shore up the most support. They need to draw as much of their base out as they can because by this point tomorrow, more than half of the country's polls will have closed in an election that has been record-breaking. With only hours to go, President Trump is barnstorming the battlegrounds. We are going to win four more years in our great White House. Optimism that doesn't match polling, which show the states he won in 2016 shifting away, partly due to his COVID-19 response. I appreciate the advice. I got a better idea. Elect me and I'm going to hire Dr. Fauci. Hoping to make inroads in a state that's predicted the president 28 times in 30 elections, Joe Biden made a stop in Ohio. The power to change the country is in your hands. A last-minute stop ahead of the biggest prize. Pennsylvania is critical to this election. The Keystone State has become a must-win for both candidates and is where Joe Biden will wind down his campaign on Monday night. Early voting is breaking records, nearly 100 million by Monday afternoon. But it hasn't been smooth sailing. In Texas, a Republican attempt to disqualify some ballots in Houston was overturned, while the president pushes back on late-arriving votes. I think it's a terrible thing when ballots can be collected after an election. States make that decision, and federal law provides weeks to certify the vote. And while Trump says he will not claim premature victory, he's already sowing doubt on the results. As soon as that election's over, we're going in with our lawyers. There are concerns, too, over safety as the count comes in. The White House, where Trump will wait out the results, is going back behind a fence while cities around the U.S. brace for any impact. 
As for the president, he's set to wind down his run with a flashback to 2016 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. A sense of familiarity in a campaign that's been unlike any other. So here we are, Reggie, on Election Eve. Great concerns about misinformation and disinformation in this campaign. And Twitter, we're hearing, has just flagged and blocked the sharing of a President Trump tweet. What's going on here? Yeah, this is a part of Twitter's move to try and crack down on disinformation during the election campaign. That tweet was sent and blocked within the last hour where the president pushed back on a Supreme Court decision about Pennsylvania voting uh, to allow the state to continue counting its ballots for up to three days after the election, saying that, quote, it would lead to unchecked cheating and, quote, induced violence on the streets. There's nothing to back up any of those claims that the president is making right now, but it fits into the narrative that he's been using for the last couple of weeks that he may sow doubt on the results of the election. He may push back on the results of these elections and he may actually declare a premature victory. And there's a fear that any of those could potentially lead to unrest on the street. The Department of Homeland Services and uh, local police departments are actively aware of any uh, threats on the streets that could lead to any kind of unrest. Businesses have been boarded up and the White House has gone back behind a fence. Chris. It's going to be an amazing 48 hours, isn't it, Reggie? Good luck down there in Washington, D.C. And thanks for your time tonight. The uncertainty of the election outcome has a lot of British Columbians betting big on the results. More than 12,000 wagers on the presidential contest have been placed through playnow.com. It seems many punters are playing the long shot with more than $1.4 million bet on Trump to be reelected, with $622,000 riding on Joe Biden taking the White House. Playnow.com says with over $3 million wagered, this election is the biggest event in its history, surpassing the Super Bowl and smashing the previous record from the 2016 U.S. vote. Vancouver Island's major crime unit is trying to piece together a deadly mystery. Three people were found dead Sunday in a rural gravel pit northwest of Nanaimo. Another person with gunshot wounds was taken to hospital. Kylie Stanton has more on what happened and why police don't believe the public is at risk. Officers are packing in supplies, others searching the area. This scene has been busy since the call first came in. All of a sudden, RCMP started coming, and ambulance started coming, and fire trucks started coming, and all sorts of mayhem was happening. At around 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon, someone riding an off-road motorbike near Coombs at the Whiskey Creek wreck site called 911. He reported he had found an unresponsive man who was later confirmed dead. But that was only the beginning. Uh, nearby, we found a vehicle that was crashed, another vehicle on fire, and two trailers that had, uh, like RV-style trailers that had burnt to the ground, and another trailer that was uh, beside those trailers that was still intact. Inside there, a man was found suffering from a gunshot wound to the shoulder. He was airlifted to hospital and is now in stable condition. But in one of the burnt-out trailers, two more victims were found deceased. Police say those living there are known to them but won't be jumping to any conclusions just yet. We have attended that area on several occasions uh, for curfew compliance checks. Uh, We are not certain at this point whether those people are in fact the two that were found in the trailer deceased. So we have to get our forensics teams in there because we have to be definitive about it before we do things like next of kin notifications. Vancouver Island's Integrated Major Crimes Unit is now investigating. No details have been released about possible suspects or motive, but police believe others may have been involved and are still at large. Initial investigations revealing that uh, everyone was known to one another, 
and therefore we don't think the general public's at risk. The area is popular for ATVs and dirt biking. There's even a Facebook page for those who frequent the spot. News of the situation now making the rounds, leaving many on edge. Three bodies in one spot, that's kind of suspicious. So. The coroner's service is working to identify the deceased, along with the timeline and cause of death. RCMP admit there are many questions that remain unanswered at this time. But we're going to use every avenue of investigation and obviously use all our resources to determine what happened here. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A warning about some of the video in our next story. Some of you might find it disturbing. A Kelowna man is facing a criminal charge after a violent Halloween attack in front of a busy fitness facility. Police were called to the parking lot of the H2O Center Saturday night where a man sustained serious injuries. He was taken to hospital and his condition is unknown. Investigators followed a trail of blood to a suspect in a house less than a kilometer away. This is certainly a very violent incident. It was a public place. Uh, this happened in the early evening, so there were certainly a lot of foot traffic, um, pedestrians, even drivers in the area. A 30-year-old man who has an extensive criminal record is now facing a charge of attempted murder. Police do not believe it was a random attack. And disturbing video has surfaced online showing what appears to be a young indigenous woman detained by security guards near a Quinnell grocery store. Catherine Urquhart shows us why the video is getting a lot of attention. And again, a warning, some viewers will find the content unsettling. Cell phone video shows a young indigenous woman screaming outside the Savon food store in Quinnell. A man is holding her down. Shocked witnesses say she was naked from the waist up. I said, you have to get off her. And he goes, you F off and you do this. And I said, get off her. Like, So he would be, what he was doing though was putting more, he would shift his weight. He was digging his knee deeper into her and the arm. And I said, you know, get off her. Like, I mean it, get off of her. She's begging for mercy. And he said, she stole something. I said, I don't care what she stole. It remains unclear what transpired immediately before the video was taken, but Twyla Short believes excessive force was used by the man, a security guard at West Park Mall. There was a guy came in and he looked down at him and he said, you get the F off her now. So that's when he actually, you know, he stood up. Soon after RCMP arrived on scene, they've told Global News when the police arrived, the female was detained without incident. After speaking to the parties involved, the female was released from the scene without charges. More information may be released at a later date, as the investigation into this incident is still ongoing. Twyla Short questions if race played a role in the incident, adding the Mounties have not contacted her for a statement. No one said, Twyla, what, what do you know? What did you... Nothing. Nothing. They did not want to know. Save on Foods says the incident did not involve any of its customers, team members, or uniformed guards. West Park Mall has not responded to requests for information. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Caught on video, a three-year-old girl rescued from the rubble of a building in Turkey nearly three days after Friday's devastating earthquake. The girl was trapped with her family in their apartment 
which was demolished by the quake. Her two sisters, brother and her mother, were also found alive. Unfortunately, one of the children later died. And a few hours later, Turkey's health ministry released video of the girl in her hospital bed. Doctors say she has no broken bones or other serious physical injuries, but obviously she is suffering from psychological trauma. And this is more security video coming out of Turkey that shows the terrifying strength of Friday's earthquake. Offices shaking violently and the panic that follows. More than 90 people have died. Nearly 1,000 more are injured. The earthquake had a magnitude of 6.9 and there have been nearly 1,200 aftershocks since then. Back in B.C. now, crews are doing damage control in Williams Lake after a weekend landslide sent the equivalent of tens of thousands of truckloads of debris down into the river valley. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the impact occurred in an area already under repair from past flooding. That trailer could be next. Truck tailgates hanging hundreds of feet in the air. The land that used to be underneath it, now at the bottom of the cliff. Over the weekend, a landslide forced the evacuation of three Williams Lake industrial properties. 75,000 truckloads. That's how much slid down the bank. The slump blocked a creek at the bottom of the valley. Excavators already on scene, dealing with flooding issues from earlier in the year, called into action to keep the water from backing up. An unusually wet year in the caribou has left the ground saturated and this soft cliff face unstable. With the ground being so wet, when the frost comes, it's going to start expanding, and next spring I'm afraid what, what this might look like. The slide took out a chunk of the industrial properties, but it happened not too far away from a mobile home park, the site of another slide two decades ago. At this point, the homes appear not to be in danger, but geotechnical engineers are on scene. If it goes much further, this piece of road that you see behind you here will, may have to be disbanded. I don't know how far it goes, it's pretty close to the edge. The railroad would be next, but I would hope it wouldn't go to that, that extent. The work will continue in the valley bottom underneath the slide. Frizzy Road remains closed, potentially permanently. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. More testimony today at the Cullen Commission into just how little control there was over money laundering through B.C.'s casinos. As John Waugh shows us, even an official in the government's gaming enforcement branch claims there was little he could do. It's the closest thing this province had to a regulator when suspected money laundering was nearing its peak in B.C. casinos. Can you say how frequently or estimate how frequently you would have seen transactions like these ones? Uh, daily. But one gaming policy and enforcement branch manager says proceeds of crime and money laundering investigations were off limits. The money laundering uh, aspect is, is a police investigation that uh, is outside the uh, purview of my status. Ken Ackles, an investigations manager for GPEB, told the Cullen Commission it came down to their limited powers as special police constables. The SPC status that's granted to me under Section 9 of the Police Act of British Columbia does not allow me to... Um, investigate those types of offenses. GPEB investigators were also told not to ask patrons about the source of their suspicious cash, a task BCLC investigators would later pick up in 2015. And is that because it was your understanding from your superiors that you were not supposed to do that because of the potential danger involved? 
That's correct. Instead, Ackles told the commission when he started with GPEB in 2013, the majority of his role was to send reports around suspicious cash transactions to supervisors and police. So in the first two years, 2013-2014, that you were a casino investigator, to your knowledge, no steps were taken by the RCMP on any of the reports that you were preparing? Not that I'm aware of, no. In fact, a 2014 email from the Richmond RCMP read out to the Cullen Commission shows the local detachment was not concerned about money laundering at the River Rock at all. On behalf of Rennie and the Richmond detachment, we are very comfortable with the River Rock's ability not to facilitate money laundering. Ackles said it wasn't until he created a spreadsheet in 2015 that tabulated $20 million in cash transactions, $14.8 million in 20s. Did a higher GPEB official take notice? He thought I was joking. He thought I had set him up with um, erroneous information. The joint illegal gaming investigations team would be set up in 2016 as a result. A police focus on casinos, Ackles said, could have been used years earlier. John Hua, Global News. In health matters tonight, the city of Winnipeg has moved into a COVID red alert. That means bars and restaurants must close except for takeout and delivery. Most retail stores and gyms will be limited to 25% capacity. Sports and recreational programming will also be suspended. Only personal services like haircuts will be allowed to operate at their current 50% capacity. The city had more than 200 cases on Friday alone. A new UBCO study has found how people use social media can impact their well-being. UBC Okanagan psychology professor Derek Wirtz took a close look at how people use three major social platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. He found that due to the COVID-19 pandemic, people are using social media more to interact with others, but the study shows those interactions generally don't have the same mood-boosting benefits that usually come from social contact, and they actually increased feelings of loneliness. The findings were published in the Journal of Happiness Studies. The story behind this amazing train derailment and the giant sculpture that lived up to its name coming up right after the forecast. And we'll check in now with Christy. We got a glimpse of what's to come. Yes. The weather. So, yeah, gumboots and rain jackets, that's what you need tomorrow. I just want to show you this photo first. Yes, this little guy is wishing you, I hope you had a happy Halloween and a safe Halloween. Thank you very much to Nikki for sharing that with us. Such a cutie with the double, two different color eyes. All right, so we also, on Halloween, not only did we have terrific weather, but we also had a blue moon, which is very rare for us to have it. It actually only occurs every 19 years, and it's when we get two full moons in um, in October, and we had it right on the 31st, which was great. Thanks to Jane for that one. This is the scene out there today. So this is the calm before the storm. Sunset tonight, closer to 5 o'clock. Tough to have that time change, I know, but it was nice to carve out one more sunny day before this is about to hit. So it's going to move in after midnight tonight for Metro Vancouver and be on and off through Wednesday morning. The heaviest rain for our region will be overnight and early tomorrow morning. Give yourself an extra time for your drive to work because it will likely be a tough one. You can see the heavy rain across the region. In the afternoon, it eases off, as I mentioned, but we will see another wave tomorrow evening, hopefully after soccer practice, because I know a lot of 
kids will have that uh, this week. So hopefully that's the case. I want to point this out. We have a SkyTracker app and it's that time of year where we're going to see more and more storms. Check out the SkyTracker app because what it gives you is an interactive weather map that you can use to see when the rain will move in and it's very specialized for your local area. Here's your words. Uh, so showers for the uh, Okanagan Valley, rain for the Columbia region and heavy rain at time for our region. Heaviest in the morning, easing to showers tomorrow afternoon before the next wave of rain pushes on shore tomorrow evening. So two days of rain and windy conditions and then we're going to clear out and cool down as we head into the weekend. But great, back to sunshine now over the weekend. And I'll leave you with today's weather window, Centro Windows weather window, which is from the Fraser River. Thank you to Sharon for that one. Dead calm, beautiful mm-hmm. shot. Thank you very much, Christy. All right, a train conductor in the Netherlands has one heck of a tale to tell after an accident that could have been so much worse. An elevated train and its operator were saved from disaster on the outskirts of Rotterdam by a giant sculpture. The train smashed through barriers at the end of the track and would have crashed into the water if not for the massive sculpture of a whale's tail that stopped it. No passengers were on board. The operator was shaken up, but otherwise uninjured. The best part, the name of the sculpture, it's actually called Saved by a Whale's Tail. In this case, he certainly was. You can't make that up. You couldn't make it up. (laughs) Wow. Amazing. And the thing's made out of plastic, if you can believe it. All right, we've got... We've got sports coming. Squire just busted me for not wearing socks, but in fact, I am wearing socks. They're just small socks. I thought it was some sort of throwback to the 80s or something going on. It is, and it's probably too much information for anybody watching right now. But, hey, who doesn't love a bargain? And it sounds like the Seattle Seahawks got one. Well, they certainly did. Uh, When they drafted wide receiver DK Metcalf, he cried. Uh, We showed that video. It was on the phone. He was crying because he was so happy to have been picked. He was also frustrated that so many teams had passed him up. As we said before the break, eight receivers were chosen before Metcalf was. But now, of course, the only tears being shed are by opposing defenses when they play Seattle, because who can stop this guy? Now, it helps that the Seahawks have another scary weapon out there in receiver Tyler Lockett. It also helps that Metcalf has the body like a superhero. Pick whatever superhero you like, and he has legs like the Flash. He's a superhero who wears a football uniform instead of a cape. I never quite understood why superheroes wear capes, because that would, you know, slow you down, you would think. Anyway, that's another subject. Yesterday, Metcalf scored a touchdown that showed all of his gifts in one moment. A crisp-looking drive here. And open inside the 35. When he caught the ball on the, on the crossing route, I started sc- screaming that they weren't going to get him. Right from, like when he was way over there because he's just too fast. And, and uh, uh, he just circled the whole defense and put it in the end zone. I don't even think they touched him. It was a great play. Um, we're so lucky to have him and, and have him grown and, and emerging as such a, uh, a dominant football player. It's really something. The Seahawks passing attack looks to be almost impossible to stop. I mean, who do you cover? DK Metcalf, who has seven touchdowns in seven games or Tyler Lockett, who also has seven touchdowns in seven games. It's a dynamic duel with neither man considering himself the number one guy. Um, I mean, me and Tyler, like I said, feed off each other very well. And, you know, we don't care, um, you know, who gets the credit or who gets the shine one week because, you know, he has my back no matter what and I got his no matter what. But he doesn't just have Tyler Lockett's back. 
Just over a week ago, he had Russell Wilson's back, helping him from throwing a pick six, because even when DK has a rare day off catching the ball, he has a memorable moment catching an opponent. No, the play really doesn't matter um, in my mind because we lost. Um, but, uh, you know, my teammates really spoke highly of me and, uh, you know, gave me a lot of congratulations. But, uh, you know, in my mind, that's something I was supposed to do, not not just an epic play, um, you know, that the world just saw. So, um, you know, I just hold myself, um, you know, in the receiver room and, and this team to a high standard. And, uh, you know, we just try to play to that standard every week. And that standard is very quickly becoming one of the top receivers in football. You know, I, I think I'm amazed every day by him, uh, just by his consistency, um, by his mentality, um, by his want to. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's a special, special player, uh, a special person, um, a special a teammate, too, as well. I don't think there's anybody better than, in terms of what he can do and, and how he's done it. And he's only in his second year. He's only 22. Now, Russell Wilson looks like she, he should have a snifter. Should he not just be <laughs> yeah. sitting there with that uh, outfit? Uh, the NFL has suspended Chicago Bears receiver uh, Javon Wims two games for punching New Orleans defensive back C.J. Gardner-Johnson twice in yesterday's game. Wims will appeal the suspension because he said Gardner-Johnson spit at him just before it happened. But here's the interesting thing. Gardner-Johnson is the guy who his own teammate, Michael Thomas, took a swing at recently at practice. And Thomas was suspended for one game by the Saints. So I don't know what it is. Receivers really seem to like hitting Gardner Johnson in the head for some reason. Look at MetLife Stadium. That's where the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. Looks like a Toronto Argonauts game. There are no fans. Uh, Daniel Jones to Deion Lewis, former buddy of Tom Brady's. That's a nice pass and a nice catch. How's it going for Brady, who doesn't seem to like playing the Giants? Remember those Super Bowls against New York when he's with the Patriots? Well, gets thrown down and then decides to test out his helmet. That seems to be working. Nothing else is for Tampa Bay right now. Wayne Gallman Jr. from a few yards away. And look at the score at halftime. I mean, there's still a half to go, so there's plenty of time for New York to blow it. But they're up 14-6 right now. Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Juan Jinryu has been named a finalist for the American League Cy Young Award as the best pitcher. Shane Bieber of Cleveland and Kenton Mader of Minnesota are the other finalists. I think Bieber will win. Uh, Ryu had a good first season with the Jays after signing as a free agent. 5-2, and 269 ERA. This is the second straight year he's been a finalist for the Cy Young. Last year it was in the National League with the Dodgers. Premiership soccer, Leicester trying to move into second place behind Liverpool. This will help, two minutes in. And it's Harvey Barnes repping the last name with a goal to make it one nothing for Leicester City. Then, Yuri Tillman's on the rebound. That one's easy, two nothing. And Jamie Vardy would get one too. Four one's the final as uh, Leicester City wins on the road against Leeds United. There you be. Some pinpoint passing. And mm -hmm. a distant cousin, I'm sure, Squire. Oh, I'm sure he is. Squire I should Barnes. give him a call, see if he can get me some tickets. Right. When they let fans in, that is. All right, here's Jay Durant with a preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Jay. Thank you, Chris. We'll have much more on another record-breaking day of COVID-19 numbers in B.C. And Vancouver police are dealing with another spike in violent crime in the downtown east side. There have been five stabbings there in the past three days. The latest saw two people injured in a fight at Hastings and Columbia. We'll have those stories and a lot more when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. 
As England prepares to hold back a rising tide of COVID cases with another lockdown, a British newspaper reported over the weekend that Prince William had the virus back in April. Global's Europe Bureau Chief Crystal Gumansing has more on how it was learned the prince tested positive. The UK is facing a new lockdown as of Thursday as more than one million people have tested positive for COVID-19 since the beginning of the pandemic. And that number may include Prince William second in line to the throne. The Duke of Cambridge reportedly tested positive for the pandemic virus back in April, but his diagnosis was kept quiet. According to the Sun newspaper, the prince was apparently struggling to breathe at one point and was treated by doctors at the palace. Now, the report cites an unnamed source who apparently overheard the prince talking about his experience with the virus while at a public event. Kensington Palace has not commented on the story. Now, you may remember that his father, Prince Charles, tested positive for COVID-19 at the end of March and shared his diagnosis, as did British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who was hospitalized in April. It appears at this point that the prince is healthy, as is his young family, and he has been keeping up with his royal duties. Crystal Gamanson, Global News, London. Hope everybody's safe there in the UK and safe here as well. With a major rainstorm coming, it uh, mm -hmm. probably bears repeating as we head into tomorrow, Christy. Yeah, so it'll come in two waves, really. The first wave moving in overnight, it will be really heavy tomorrow morning. You'll need gum boobs, that's for sure. All the kids will. It will ease in the afternoon. We'll still see showers in the afternoon, but that will be in between the two waves before the next one moves on shore tomorrow evening. The second wave, not quite as heavy, but nonetheless, we're still expecting a fair amount of rain with that second wave, and both will come with windy conditions as well, although there's no wind warnings in effect. And then as we look forward to the weekend, yeah, Yes, it could be back to sunshine, but it will get cold. Seems like you're getting the uh, the timing I know. nailed with the that sunny That doesn't weekends. always happen, so pretty lucky. Yeah, we, mm -hmm. I feel that way. All right, thanks very much, and thank you for watching, everyone. Have a good night.